so I have a friend, and his name is Otto Koning. Some of you may have heard of him. He's well known for a story that he tells about an experience that he had on the mission field. It was actually an experience of failure. And the story, maybe you heard it, is called the Pineapple Story. And uh, Otto Koning has come to this area. He's told the Pineapple Story. He went to the mission field. And he didn't do very well because he got angry with the natives. He got angry with the people. And he was angry because no matter what he did, he couldn't keep them from stealing his pineapples. They stole them when they were green. He closed the clinic. He said, if you're going to steal my pineapples, we're not going to give you medicine. And then people got sick, so they had to open the clinic. And he, he got a dog. It's a great story. He got a dog, but the people were all scared off. So he had pineapples, but, and he had a dog, but he didn't have a ministry. And, uh, and it's a it's hilarious story, and it's a meaningful story. As a matter of fact, if you'd like to watch it, the link is in your notes today. I just would like to ask you not to watch it while I'm preaching today. Just wait a little bit. You'll love the story. But there's a point in the story where Otto Koning says, you know, I thought to myself, I could be a really great missionary if it wasn't for the people. (laughs) Today in our text, we have a very interesting text of Scripture that talks a bit about peace and about conflict. And uh, it's in uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verses 2 through 9. Philippians chapter 4 and verses 2 through 9. Sometimes conflict comes into our relationships even if we know the lord and the conflict can slow the discipleship wheel down the conflict can sometimes stop the bethel wheel stop the discipleship wheel and sometimes the conflict uh the lack of peace with others or with the lord or with ourselves it stops our progress in faith it robs us of our joy and our peace it brings turmoil into our soul And this is not a new thing. Way back in this Philippian church, there was a conflict like that. And you see it as we read. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche, two of the women in the church there. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help those women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've heard and received and heard, uh, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice those things, and the God of peace will be with you. 
So if, if the Bethel wheel is going to turn, we have to learn to live at peace, and we have to learn how to have peace within. And in this text today, there are three very powerful things that will help us. There are actually more than three, but they really kind of, they break out to us in three paragraphs or three sections. And I want to talk to you today about how to live at peace, how to live at peace. I want you to notice again what the first chunk of the text says. I want to read it again, verses two and three. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now, I want you to remember a couple of things I've taught you before. One is always honor the emotional context of the passage. Try to enter into what would it feel like? What would it feel like to be <laughs> Euodia and Syntyche? This letter is going to be read in the church. It's from the esteemed Apostle Paul. And like today, we have this letter from the esteemed Apostle Paul. Euodia and Syntyche are like, oh, we're his fellow workers. We've worked with him. We know that we're valuable to him. And they're hearing this letter being read. It must be, a, it's a delightful letter. You know, you know how much I love you. I think of you, I pray for you. Every time I pray for you, I remember you with Thanksgiving. And here's how to have joy. And it gets to the end and suddenly you hear your own name. Enter into the emotional context of that. What would it have been like for you to be Euodia or Syntyche and think, oh, I'm getting called out by name. What would it have been like to be sitting near them in the service? You'd be doing that social inattention, like, <clears throat> like when somebody hits a really bad golf shot and you just didn't see it. And you're looking away and you're kind of coughing and looking away and nobody saw that ball hook into the woods. Imagine that. You also want to exercise your sanctified imagination whenever you're dealing with the passage of Scripture like this. So I do this. What happened with Euodia and Syntyche after the Apostle Paul named them in this letter? I don't know. I, I've, I've watched a lot of good men and women in church respond to things. They might have just got up and left the church. They might have gone over to the Methodist. I don't know just got up and left do you think they left the church the did he put my name in the letter he gave, he put he didn't talk to me about that first just name name me in the letter i am offended what do you suppose happened i like to exercise i like to honor the emotional context of the passage like what would that have felt like and i like to exercise my sanctified imagination can i do that a little bit more Let's imagine that that's not how they responded. Let's assume the best of these dear ladies because Paul does commend them. I mean, look what it says about them. Uh, he, he appeals to a companion there. And this word companion may have been a proper noun, a person. It means yoke fellow. It might have been, he was referring as a yoke fellow to perhaps to Luke or appealing to someone to mediate between the two ladies. But he says, help those women who have labored Side by side, and the labor word there can mean like um, they were shoulder to shoulder with me in battle. Uh, they, they were side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. He's like, I'm not going to name them, but their names are in the book of life. And he's implying, and these ladies' names are in the book of life. So what he's saying is these women are not getting along, and they need to have the same mind. And they might need a little bit of help. They might need a little encouragement from, from mature, 
older leaders, and again, these aren't necessarily um, shallow, petty women. These are women that are commended here. They're, they're leaders, they're workers, they're valuable workers. So, so I like to exercise my sanctified imagination, and I like to imagine what it would be like in the assembly when these two words came from the mouth of the one who read this letter, and these good women who loved the Lord and who loved Paul heard their names and they knew they had this conflict. And I like to imagine there was weeping in the church that day. And I like to imagine, was it Euodia nobody remembers? Was it Synthiki first? That's the tears came and she got up out of her chair and she went over to her friend and they embraced. And then there was weeping all over the church. And then there was a smattering of laughter and then there was the return of joy. I like to imagine that's how you exercise your sanctified imagination. What's really more important than that is how will you respond today when you think of the people that you're tempted to withhold forgiveness from or, or you're in a conflict with or that thing that you would easily dispute over? It's interesting in this passage before we move on to think a little bit about disputes in the church and to be encouraged, here are some truths. These are in your notes. It's possible for good, useful people to have sharp disagreements and relational struggles. Let's remember that. These are good people. Their names are in the book of life. Paul commends them, and they're not getting along. So it's super encouraging to me to read that. I've been on both sides of that myself. And to think, sometimes people that love the Lord, who are useful to the Lord, still have sharp disagreements a second observation about disputes is when this happens, the church can be harmed and the wheel of discipleship can slow or stop turning. But it doesn't have to be that way because God can use the very conflicts themselves as a learning tool. And that's where leaders step in. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. And it's interesting, some have compared this little staccato bunch of uh, imperatives that Paul gave in philippians here to the sermon on the mount like paul's little miniature sermon on the mount blessed are the peacemakers those who step in and help us get along leaders in the church are people who don't encourage division but who encourage unity at the right time mediation is sometimes called for sometimes leaders need to address disagreement sometimes they need to appoint a mediator I heard once of, a, of an African-American woman in the Deep South shortly after the Civil War, and everyone knew that she was a godly lady, and she got pregnant and had a little baby boy, and she named him Lee Grant. She named him after the general of the Confederacy and the general of the Union, Lee Grant. And somebody said, why did you name your son Lee Grant? And she said, because I want him to be a child of reconciliation. And I'm not sure that's how it worked out, but it's a noble idea. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. So in the, in the church, there are things we ought to be willing to fight for, but most of the things we fight about are not things we should fight about. And sometimes we're too quick to divide, especially, can I make this really clear? especially over matters of personal preference. Matters of personal preference. Now, I think Bethel's pretty good at this. And I hope, you know, kind of under my care that they would 
continue to be good at this, as they have been, as you all have been. It says in 1 Corinthians 4, in the first place, when you came together as a church, this is in 1 Corinthians 11, 18 and 19, Paul says, when you came together as a church, I heard there were divisions among you. And I believe it in part. There must be factions in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Some translations say God allows these divisions in the church because now we're going to find out who the real genuine Christians are. We're going to find out who the real leaders are. Real leaders tend to step in and they tend to bring reconciliation when it's appropriate to do that. That's kind of how you can tell who the leaders are. That's what it's saying in that passage. And another observation about disputes is all this should be done with a keen awareness that all of the people involved are a part of the family of God. So have you had this experience where you, have, you were kind of out with somebody and you disagreed with them and you, and you wanted to demonize them? What's wrong with her? She must not even be a Christian. How can she even be saved? She must have a devil in her. You know, that kind of thing. But, you know, and, and Paul understands that. And notice what he says. He says, the rest of my fellow workers, and he reminds them, whose names are in the metaphorical memory of God as his children in the book of life. Lois and I prayed in the car just a a minute ago when y'all were singing the last song. She's always been very faithful to remind me that there are always some people in the congregation who don't know the Lord. I tend to preach to believers, you know, and I forget sometimes some of you might not have your name in the book of life. I appeal to you now to repent of your sin, to believe in Christ, to trust him with your life, with your cares, that he would save you, forgive you of your sin, give you the confidence of eternal life, set you free, that your name would be written in the book of life where, when it is written, it is never removed. Imagine that. And I would also appeal to you to remember when you are in a dispute with a believer, they're your brother, they're your sister. I often think of this. I might avoid somebody in this earth in order to live at peace with them. I may say, well, you know, it seems like every time we're together, we're going to have a problem. I'm going to maybe avoid them a little bit. And I'll always remind, and sometimes that's not a bad idea to a degree, but I also am reminded that someday, Lord willing, I'm walking the streets of heaven. And then I'm going to look up and I'm going to see that person coming. And our eyes are going to meet. And we're going to say, my brother, my sister, God bless you. Or we're not going to say, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm not going to say, my brother, my sister. They, so so when, when disputes come, it's an opportunity for the church to be the church. And we must remember the Bethel wheel must turn. The discipleship wheel must turn. People need to keep following Jesus. And if we allow this, if we allow this conflict to take over, it's going to slow or stop the Bethel wheel. Don't you wish our nation could be at peace? Think about it. We're in a civil war today. We really are. People are literally shooting each other in the streets. And we have mayhem and we have anarchy in the streets and in small and medium-sized cities in America. We have literally, we have anarchy in the streets. Inexcusable anarchy in the streets. We have people with powerful feelings of injustice that are expressing them in ways 
that are sometimes appropriate and often not. And it grieves all of us. And we're all thinking, what is the answer to that? But the answer is right here. And it's really the only answer. The only way for peace to come is one heart at a time through people's names being added to the book of life and the Holy Spirit working in their hearts that they would exercise their authority in a godly way, that they would resolve their grievances in a godly way, that they would be filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that they would sit down and, uh, and, and, and the Christians need to show this broken nation what that looks like. A church of peace, a people of peace are like that. I once, um, in, matter of fact, right across town, there was a man, his name was Ken, he was a friend of mine, and, um, and Ken Dady was his name, and Ken worked with Word of Life, and he still works with Word of Life today. And Ken recommended the Loomis Church to my brother-in-law, who told me about it, and I was invited to go and be on the pastoral staff of the church there, and, and, and Ken was the Word of Life missionary. And during that time, I got upset with Ken about something. And uh, I decided that we weren't really going to be close friends. And I distanced myself a bit from Ken. Out, not long after that, maybe a few years after that, I was in Ohio at a pastor's conference and Ken was there. And he was there behind his booth in the Word of Life booth. And I walked by and he looked at me and I looked at him and he says, Ken, he says to me, Ken, his name is Ken. Ken, are we okay? And I said, well, we do have something between us. And he said, could we talk about it? And I was like, okay. So we go off into a room a little bit, and he goes, if I have offended you or hurt you, I, I'm, I'm not aware of what I did, but I have a feeling there's something between us, and I wonder if, we c if you would tell me what it is. I looked at Ken, and I kind of smiled. I said, I know there's something, but I kind of forgot what, <laughs> what it was. <laughs> and he smiled, and he says, well, if you remember... I appreciate it. if you'd tell me, maybe we ought to just pray. I said, I'd, I'd love that. Ken Dady and I, at the Grace Baptist Church down in Cedarville, found a little Sunday school class, and we knelt down by a couple of folding chairs, and we had a precious time of prayer over the thing I was offended about that I couldn't even remember. And uh, he had not done anything wrong to me. Uh, and And... And then uh, a number of years later, my daughter Holly and I had a wonderful week together at a counseling seminar in Indiana. And the whole week we would go out to nice places to eat. We would just have nice conversations. We'd sit in these sessions. We'd learn the word. And there in our hotel one night, I was walking across the hotel, and there was Ken Dady. I'm like, Ken, my friend. Ken, my friend, he said. We embraced. I wrote to him last night. I said, Ken, how long have you been in the ministry? He said, I've been working with teens for 53 years. I've been in the ministry 44 years. And I think, my goodness, here are two men. The Lord's allowed me to be in ministry for over 40 years. Uh, and for Ken to be in the ministry over 40, here are two men who have spent a cumulative total of over 80 years in the ministry. We ought to learn to get along, amen? And, and so can I just say to you, in a few years, you may or may not remember what it was you were heard about but you will still have a sister in heaven, a brother in heaven. And wouldn't it be wonderful if he just set aside whatever that was and you found a couple of folding chairs somewhere 
like I imagine Yodia and Syntyche did, in weeping and reconciliation, in oneness and in agreement. Let me tell you what happens when, when I demand my personal preferences. And eight things, and they come right out of this text. I'll do this really fast. They come right out of this text. If you study the text carefully, you see this. And these are in your notes. So you, you, to really follow this, you'll need to go back and study it with a little more depth. But they come directly out of the text. Disputes weaken our work for God. Disputes divide our family. In the church, disputes kill our joy. Disputes don't display our gentleness to the world. And we're supposed to be known for our reasonableness to the world. Disputes distract us from Christ's return and from our awareness of his presence. That's coming right out of that text. Disputes turn thanksgiving into worry and anxiety. Disputes rob us of our peace. And disputes distract us from all the good things that are going on around us. I cheated in my preparation. Pastor Leo Cummings preached through Philippians ahead of me. You see, I'm not new at this game. And so I let him go first so I could hear all his messages. It, it, you you kind of didn't get that, did you? Anyway, so I, it, last, uh, last spring he preached through Philippians up there. And I, so I looked at his message on this text and I was tempted to read it, but I thought, if I read it to you, you're going you're gonna to know it wasn't mine. So I decided not to do that. In reality, what I, what I noticed, though, he said something interesting about this text. And he told a story about his first wife, Jeanette, and, and how she would give a little staccato bunch of imperatives to the boys when they would go on a trip. You know, kind of like, make sure you brush your teeth, say thank you. And he called them, uh, Pastor Leo called them affectionate imperatives. And that's such a common thing, right, for a mom to do. Just before, now don't forget and take your, and by, by all means, and don't forget and check your oil. My dad would do that. Uh, Pastor Leo said, this text is like that. It's like a, a staccato list of affectional imperatives. Hey, whatever you do, rejoice in the Lord. Let your reasonableness be known to all men. If you're worried about something, pray. And by all means, think about good things. Paul is saying, I'm about to part. Let me check your oil before you go. Let's just make sure. I thought that was beautiful. But I do notice something else. I, I noticed that there is there, that they are connected in a way as well. They're, like scriptures are so complex. The first thing to have peace is to do everything you can to, to settle personal disputes. The second thing in verses 5 through 7 is rejoicing and reasonableness and requests. Listen to the text. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. So there are a number of things here, and they are really connected to having peace, right? First, we reconcile with those to the, to the best of our ability. We reconcile with someone we have any dispute with. Then we choose to rejoice. You, you've heard it like this. Make the choice to rejoice. I know there are crazy, sad things going on all around us. And, you know, if you have a family, if you're in a marriage, if you look around, it's easy to find things that are sad. It's easy to find things that are wrong. It's easy to find things to crab about. But Paul was in prison when he wrote this. And he's writing to people who are in great financial distress. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And it's almost like they said, really? And he says, and again, I'd say, rejoice. 
choose to rejoice when you want peace, resolve personal conflicts, choose to rejoice, be known for your willingness to be reasonable. It's difficult to translate this word. The Greek scholars will, you'll see it's translated a number of different ways. It's translated reasonableness here. In some translations, it's translated gentleness. In the idea of peace or personal conflict, you know there are people that are just hard to get along with. And there are times that all of us feel a little bit hard to get along with. Not Lincoln, but the rest of us are like that. And, and we say, well, you know, today I'm just, I'm out, I got up on the wrong side of the bed. And Paul says, we'll get back into bed and get up on the right side of the bed and be known for that. Be known for being the person that's easy to reconcile with. That's reasonable. You're a joyful person and you're, 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 everybody knows that you're reasonable about, you're, you're easy to reconcile with. And then he says something and, and, and that's really interesting. He says, do all this with an awareness that the Lord is at hand. In other words, you aren't, we aren't operating a vacuum here. Jesus' presence in the person of his spirit, and he could come back at any moment. Whatever you do in terms of you know, living at peace with others and living at peace within, be aware that Jesus is coming back. Uh, I have a thing I might write on this someday. Things old people say. I'm old people now, so I can say this. Things old people say. You ever notice old people say things and you tend to kind of go, well, they're old. And you tend to, you know, kind of like scoot them over. They're just old. They're saying old people things. But I have a theory that we ought to stop and listen when old people say things. I mean, sometimes they're just crabby and mean and grouchy and you just need to pray for them. But sometimes they make a lot of sense. Like here's an example of things that old people often say. You go visit them in the rest home, you talk to older godly people, and you know what? they'll look you in the eye and a little tear will form in the corner of their eye and they will say, Jesus coming back soon. Jesus coming back soon. Paul said this in this letter over and over and over again. Over and over in this little tiny letter, Paul reminds the people, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven references in this tiny letter to the return of Christ. When Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to all men, let everybody know you are easy to get along with because Jesus is watching and Jesus is coming back. This would be something for us to be aware of. Be aware that people have their names written in the book of life if they're believers. Be aware that they don't have their names written in the book of life that they need to. Be aware that the Lord is at hand and be reasonable. This is what uh, Paul has said. And then he says in verse 6, let your requests be made known to God. And this is a key text, of course. Don't be worried. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And listen to the promise in verse 7. You're aware of this. And the peace of God which surpasses understanding. Peace that won't make sense for a person going through what you're going through. And how many of you have this experience that God has given you a peace and it doesn't even make sense, but he did? You have this experience? Both of you. Amen. So I'm really encouraged by that. So I, I must not have said that right because that was one of those rhetorical questions where all the Christians are supposed to go, amen, brother. But anyway, that's my fault, not yours. You're good people. But this is an experience I've had. Like, it doesn't make any sense to be at peace right now, but I, when I got in my red Jeep 
and I didn't have an income, and I didn't have a church, I didn't know what God was going to do, I didn't know he was going to send us to you, I didn't know we are going to have Bittersweet Farm, I didn't know how, what a beautiful turn our life was taking, and my heart was just broken, I remember the Lord visiting me in that red Jeep, and it's all, it was such a powerful sense of his presence that I wouldn't even turn the radio on, because I had this peace that didn't make sense, that's a special kind of peace a person with cancer can have. That's a special kind of peace a person that's dying can have. That's a special kind of peace that a person whose kids are really having trouble can still have during that time. And how do you get that peace? You turn your worries into prayer. If you're praying, you're not worrying, you're praying. It's that simple. If a worry comes and you turn it into a prayer, you're not worrying anymore, you're praying. So let that things that would break your heart be a stimulus to prayer. And then Paul's prayer, Paul's a promise here is he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Paul is chained to a guard when he says this. It's probably why this comes to his mind. The peace of God will be on you like an armed guard just walking around your life. If if you do what? If you turn your worries into, into prayer. If you guys were sharper, these messages would be so much shorter. You just got to be quicker to, on this stuff. I used to be worried about something. Think about something you're worried about. I, a few years ago, a number of years ago, we had four boys, four girls. And the, and the two oldest boys, they were raised on a farm that we rented in the country. But the two youngest boys were raised in a hotel in downtown Flint. We lived in a hotel in downtown Flint. And I worried about, I don't worry much, but I worried about Daniel and Wes, my youngest boys. And I used to think, you know, I've got the run of this whole hotel. It's a $40 million building. It's 16 stories. It's two restaurants, a huge ballroom. We have the keys to everything. The guys had a, I I thought, you know, if I'm not careful, these boys could grow up like Huffni and Phineas in the Bible. And they could end up not loving the things of God and not having reverence for the things of God. And I'm really busy, and I'm so overwhelmed with, you know, people are calling me all the time, and I've got things to do. I spent a lot of time worried about Dan and Wes and praying about Dan and Wes. Are they going to be okay? Are they going to love God? Are they going to know God? Are they going to follow God? Am I the dad I ought to be? Am I really, should I really be living in a hotel in downtown Flint? And during that time, as I worry about that, I told my, my dear friend, Ken Krause, that we recruited to come and help us. And he was a friend to me. He would do things for the boys, and he would pray with me. He knew that I was that that was something that was on my heart. Whenever I could, I would take the boys with me on speaking engagements and take them camping and just do different things. But I, I built a little room off of my study called I called it Narnia because it looked like you're going into the closet. And I'd have the boys. There's a nice little room with a library in it and two little desks. And I'd have the boys go in there in the daytime in the morning. And I'd have them write and read, and I'd check on them and give them special treats, but I worried and I worried and I worried that those boys wouldn't follow the Lord, and I worried that they would really resent having to be raised in a hotel in downtown Flint. Well, now they're grown men, and they love the Lord, and they love their mother, and they love their dad, and they married in the faith, and they're good dads. I was with them this weekend, and I watched them be good husbands, and I watched them be good dads. One day we were driving through Flint with the boys a few years ago, and they said, Dad, can we go over to the character inn? Can we walk through the place? I go, why would you want to do that? They go, we loved it there. 
And we went over and they just went through and they just pointed out all the little cubby holes and all the little hiding places. And they said, this was the neatest thing, Dad. I worried about something, but I didn't have to worry. They said, Dad, you remember how you would take us on camping trips? Remember that one camping trip? I took them to Higgins Lake, which is a beautiful place in Michigan, right? And, and uh, can I go into overtime today? Okay. So I took them to Higgins Lake and, uh, and, and, I, and I decided I was giving them the talk. You know what I'm talking about, the talk. Uh, and so they, they're, they're old enough, they need a little conversation about boys and girls and whatnot. And so uh, I took them up at the North Higgins Lake State Park. This is gorgeous state park. You, can, you probably know about it, how, the, how you can hike, wade out into the water like three football fields. It doesn't go over your head. Water's pure and clear. It's so beautiful. We spent the weekend, and we, we camped out. And, and I remember that, that the first night that we camped out, it was really cold. And I said, well, let's build a fire, and I'll give you guys a little talk. A little talk and so they were just little fellas and we built this raging this roaring fire and they put their little feet up on the little fire ring and they listened as i talked and they just didn't say a word because of the content of what i was talking about they were just like they were glued to what i was saying and they didn't move as i just talked to them about those things and the boys were got to laughing about that later they said dad you remember that you were talking about the birds and the bees and we were listening and our shoes melted to the fire ring, and we couldn't, get, we couldn't get them off. I go, yeah, remember we had to take your shoes off and pry them off the fire ring because you were just sitting like little soldiers. And, and, and then Dan said, Dad, remember that night? We didn't know it, but the moon rose. And remember how we walked along the lake? I didn't have to worry about those boys. God was helping me. Can I ask you today, what are you worried about right now? Don't you know God loves you? Don't you know God cares about you? Don't you know he can do things you can't do? All he tells you is, when you're worried, you tell me about it. When you're anxious, you turn that into a prayer. And I will give you a supernatural peace. And I will, I will march around your heart and I will guard you. That, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. This is how we live at peace. Finally, don't you love it when pastors say that? Number three, we have peace through thinking and practice. I, it's interesting how you think and what you do will contribute to your peace. In this beautiful passage in verse eight, finally, brothers, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, these are the things you should be thinking about, meditating on. There's nothing in there about CNN. Did you notice that? It's really a bad idea to meditate on CNN. I just want to share that with you. There's nothing in there about Fox News. Did you know that was coming, right? There's nothing in there about gossiping about the neighbor. There's nothing in there about, like, oh, eagerness to hear the latest scandal about somebody. Going through your Twitter feed is going to mess up your soul. And just seeing everybody's invective and everybody's vitriol and everybody's hatred. Everybody's failure, everybody's perversion. This is not what the Bible, listen, one of the reasons why we have turmoil within is because we don't do the simple thing the Bible says. Turn our worries into prayers and think about things that are good. Notice these things, there's a list of them. Honorable, true, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. These are things you should think about. And this translates not only into your meditations, but into what you do. Because notice what it says. And what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, not just what I talked about, but what you saw me do, you do that. 
Imitate, find godly people to imitate. This is a repeated theme in this text, right? Find godly people. A handful of people in your life that you, you look at them, you go, that woman, if you're a young lady, and you look and you say, look at this older lady and look at the grace on her life. And even though she's been through hardships and she's been through hurts, I can see the hand of God and I want to be like her. That's good. Pick a handful of people out like that. That's what Paul is saying. Think about these things and practice these things. This is how it works. I, I got a, 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 a photograph emailed to me by a sister named Candy today, this early this morning. And it was a picture of my books on a little table. And, and the, that was kind of neat. I thought, oh, a couple of the most recent books I wrote were on this little table. She took a picture of them, and she sent them to me. And she goes, well, at least I have good reading. And I wrote back, and I said, oh, I'm glad you're enjoying the books. And then I looked at the picture again, and I realized there's one of those, I don't know how to say this in a gentle way, one of those sickness pans next to it, you know? Yeah. Not because of the content of the book. It had nothing to do with that. And it was on, it was on, I realized, oh, that's one of those sliding hospital tables. I wrote her back. I said, Candy, are, are you okay? She works at UPS. She said, I went into work early in the morning, and the night shift had mopped, but they hadn't dried the floor. She said, I slipped, and I dislocated my hip, and I broke my hip, and I'm going to have to have surgery. Her husband has Alzheimer's and has to have others come in and help. She's got some troubles but she's going to be okay. Mark and Candy Fromer were, they've been here to visit at Bethel. They're one of the couples that helped Lois and I and our family when we were in the Red Jeep journey. And they were an encouragement to us. I know they're going to be okay. You know why? Because those books that I wrote, you know what the magic secret of those books is? They're all full of Bible stuff. They're chock full of truth from the Bible. That's why there's any value in them. They're just Bible truths. And Candy is reading things that are good and honorable and right. She's going to land on She's going to be okay. And so are you. I, if you do the same. I was in Tennessee, and I was speaking at a Presbyterian church, the Liberty Cumberland Presbyterian Church. It was kind of high church. It's a, it a beautiful little church in the mountains there, and it was a, a red brick colonial church and they had invited me to come down and speak and I was the guest of the Mahoney family and and uh I, and when I got to the service I realized that they were going to practice a kind of higher church liturgy which is something that I think is beautiful from time to time it's not my personal preference but I think from time to time it's very beautiful and I enjoyed it and they had a little thing they do that I don't remember ever doing before but I'd read about it a lot and I saw it coming in the service and I looked forward to it because these people had hosted me all weekend. They'd given me gifts, and they'd fed me well, and they'd listened to my stories, and we'd had conversation, and, and, I, and I wanted them to be blessed and to be encouraged. And there was a little part in the service where they said, it's called the passing of the peace. Are you familiar with this? The passing of the peace in a formal service like that is a time when everybody gets up and moves around, and it's agreed upon that you'll walk over to a person, and you'll say something like this, the peace of the Lord be upon you. And the other person says back to you, and to you, or and the peace be to you too. And I walked around that day eagerly conferring peace on these people in the mountains of Tennessee. And I thought to myself, and they wished for me to have peace. 
And I thought to myself, when you mean it, that can be such a beautiful thing. And I thought about us. And even though we don't have that particular custom, I thought about how wonderful it would be that there's a deeper level of peace that we all enjoyed and that we would confer peace on one another and that we would receive peace. That's why it says at the end of this text, and the God of peace will be with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for this beautiful text of Scripture, the practical encouragement in it. And Lord, I pray this blessing on the people. Teach us, God, I pray, to reconcile, especially with those who are our brothers and sisters in the family of God. Give us peace in the deepest part of our souls and cause us to rejoice and have reasonable dispositions towards one another. Help us to learn continually to turn our worries into prayers and to think on things that are good and act on things that we think about. And Lord, I pray, draw into your family those who are outside your family today. And Lord, make us a people of peace and make Bethel a place of peace. And may the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, guard each heart and each mind through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. God bless you.